Thanks again to everyone supporting us on the podcast through Patreon. Patreon allows our listeners an opportunity to contribute to the podcast and allow us to bring you great guests and content each week. Thank you to all of our patrons and a special shout out to Jonathan Lambert for being our largest donor. You too can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L. This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code mentors the number four MIL at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. Mentors for Military Podcast. I can remember back, I think it was my E5 board or maybe it's E6 board. I don't remember which it is. I had an NCO at one time frame, and I don't know if he stole this saying because I think other people have said it as well. But basically he said, Gowan, you've got one shot to make a good first impression. And so it hit me and it stuck with me for the rest of my life because I started realizing that people are going to size you up and we all do it the minute an individual walks in the door. In the military, it's really easy because the first thing you do is look at the individual's chest to see what trinkets that they have, what schools that they go to, how hard did they really work at what they're doing. If they're in their dress greens and you can really see, you know, the attaboy awards and everything in the civilian world, it's no different as well. Um, you start looking at, okay, what is the title? They, how do they report to what department they work within? So you start deciding whether a person of a director or executive is the same and equals the same, whether it's a size company, it's a size department, you know, those types of things. Some people just get those titles, you know, a bank vice president is really a glorified manager, you know? So, um, when you start looking at that, you size up the individual, um, you know, just based on your first impression, and you may do that within a matter of minutes. I can tell you that when I was in the private sector looking at resumes, I looked at a resume and it took me three to five seconds to determine whether I was going to flip it over and throw it in the trash pile, or I was going to flip it over and put it in the save pile that I would review one more time. But I still wouldn't spend too long on it after that. And Mike, I think one of the challenges that we're finding is is that people under the age of 30 are finding it a bit challenging to be able to even communicate in a normal way because they never had to do that in any manner without the use of technology. Yeah, so I agree with the whole technology part, but that's a double-edged sword in that before you even get to the point where you're doing a face-to-face to make that first impression, um, I'll tell you guys all the time, your first impression is made by your written correspondence because to get there, you had to send an email to someone. You had to send a letter of inquiry. You had to make some sort of an inquiry, you know, some sort of an inquiry 
to get to that point where you actually have a face-to-face or for someone to take your resume. And uh, I was on a lot of warrant officer selection boards and and stuff at West Point and, and different boards where someone had to initiate with written correspondence. And uh, I had a standard mentorship spiel on that because I said, here's the deal. If you make your initial contact with me via email and you can't write a coherent letter with proper punctuation, spelling, grammar, sentence structure, all that. If you if you can't get to that point, I've already made my impression. You could walk through that door in a $1,000 suit, well-groomed, look like a poster child, and you're going to have to work to change my impression because I've already made it based on your initial contact with me. Um, you know, I've even told them, hey, here's my number. It's fine if you text me, but know who you're talking to. Know your audience. And if you're texting like a high schooler, like your, your buddies in the lunchroom, I mean – I got it. I'm on board. You know, we text now and that's kind of a formal thing of communication or, you know, LinkedIn message or Facebook message or, or whatever. But, you know, just because it's an informal venue doesn't mean it's informal communication. I'm still making an impression. So that's the technology piece where everyone uses it now. And so we've all kind of adapted, but just, you know, I, I caution, don't forget who your audience is. And if they happen to be a grammar or punctuation fanatic, yeah, you know, you, you've sort of sealed the deal and you haven't even gotten through the door to show them your resume yet. Man, I will say this and I say because of technology, but like to your point, there's grammar checker out there. I mean, you can Google grammar editor or grammar checker and you can actually copy and paste your, your whole paragraph or email or whatever into it. And it'll give you advice on how you should modify your, your uh, text. I, I have had guys, who wanted letters of recommendation for Warren Officer Canada School, Flight School, or Vacation B. I have had guys send me a message, and my favorite is, opens up with, hey, and signed off by, not a name or anything, just thanks. Hey, the misspelled body of their paragraph, and then later, something like that. Yeah. I've so, had those too. Would, Even the yeah. ones, what about the signature block on the bottom? They just have, <laughs> and so they just say thanks because, you know, my name and information is already there on the bottom, right? I don't have to sign off with Robert. Right. Well, because you feel dumb responding to a screen name or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've adapted to getting messages off of websites or forums and stuff like that because that's just the way people under the age of 30 operate for everything. Um, But it doesn't mean that you can't have, you know, formal um, a formality in your writing because I don't care if you're 20. If you're in an executive position, whether in the military or civilian world, you know, that is still how your first impressions made. That has not changed. Just the medium has changed. Well, what's interesting about this whole point is that, correct me if I'm wrong, both of you, because it has been a few years since I came off active duty, but at least back in the day, when you start getting to the advanced portion of your non-commissioned officer status and you go to the, the you know, school and stuff for advanced um, non-commissioned officer school, back then it was called ANOC, uh, you know, when you get to that level, you start a, a writing program that you actually have to go through how to write properly. And of course, some of it was, you know, the military way, but a lot of it was learning again, what an adverb, a verb, a noun, a pronoun, and all that stuff was all over again. Rob, right here at Fort Benning, I can tell you right now, <clears throat> she's retired now, but from the time I was in PODC through the captain's career course, Miss Horton was the one that would come in and would do your writing and review it and really rip it up and put it into the different, uh, not only, you know, the, the AR-25-50, you know, but, but 
the actual like how to write a personal letter, how to write a, a letter to your audience of who you're responding to. If you're if you're writing, um, you know, putting out a policy letter, it's at this level because that's your audience is your unit and your soldiers. They read at this level versus if you're writing to a senior officer, you know, you're putting it up there because they really they're not wasting a whole lot of time reading. They want to get right to the point. And then also writing, you know, papers and things like that. So they do teach. They they still teach those at, at, at those courses. Okay, I, I was wondering. You know, when I've when I've got young people um, that send me resumes and stuff like that, and and their essays on why I want to be a warrant officer, or why I want to go to flight school, or why I want to go to the one sixtieth, and they're kind of led astray. I'm like, listen, I don't I don't have time, nor am I going to teach you everything you should have learned in high school. I said, here's two references, and I send them standard links. It's the action officer writing guide and the army writing style. I'm like, it's easy. It doesn't solve every problem, but for the purpose you're doing, at least in the military, it solves 75% of them. Um, There's an, the, yeah, you're right. There's an example in one of in one of that those right there of who your audience is. Actually. Yeah, and I, I kind of had the same experience as Don. I want to say uh, I was an E6 in the SEAL teams, and I was a, a platoon leading petty officer, kind of like a team leader. And I fancied myself a good writer. And my platoon chief was a guy named Ken Needham, who actually got out of the SEAL teams, and uh, he's a doctor now. And on the side, he taught English at a community college. And I fancied myself a, a pretty good writer. And he's like, you know, um, your writing actually sucks. And so on a six-month deployment before 9-11, so every week he gave me a writing assignment, and I hated him for it. Like every week it was some sort of essay or a point paper or something like that. And But holy cow, you know, talk about pivotal people. Um, I never took a class on it beyond high school or community college, but the fact that he made me write something every week for six months completely changed my entire perspective and appreciation for, for the written word and, you know, being articulate and all that. So, cause I certainly didn't have it before. So someone may have to beat it into you, but it, it makes a difference. You know, a lot of people don't think about who the audience is when they're sitting down and writing something. That, that was a great pickup or a great point that you make there. You know, you think about your audience if you're in an instructing kind of, you know, format. You're thinking about, all right, how do I how do I tailor this to my particular audience that I'm talking to? Are there women within the audience? Are there spouses? Are there families? You know, whatever that kind of case may be. Or if you're in the private sector, you know, what, what level am I speaking to and, and how should I uh, structure this? But you, to your point, you actually should do those exact same things through your penmanship. You know, you should be tailoring what it is that you're describing or you want to get your point across to. And you got to remember that, at least in my world and the things that I've seen, as you begin to go through the rank or you begin to go through the same thing within the private sector, your time becomes more limited. You don't have as much time to spend reading a 14-page you know, um, document on what, what you're trying to get your point across. And it takes me to the last paragraph before I figure that out. Now, in the military, we talk a lot about bottom line up front. Now, it doesn't always work within the private sector. You may actually lose somebody, but you can put enough in the front, ex, uh, front section of the message that gives the intent and the idea of what the purpose is behind what you're trying to describe. And I would say... You know, depending upon your audience and everything, you could even put purpose and put, you know, or you could write it, Mike, the purpose of my message is. And then it yeah, helps, I, you know, guide you as to, oh, okay, this is why Robert's contacting me. The best thing that I learned on being on, on a whole bunch of selection boards was I used to big, 
write big, long, verbose, you know, cover letters and essays and all that kind of stuff. And being on a selection board, as Don has probably been on too, you know, you have two minutes to look at something. And that's pretty similar. You know, when you're in the corporate world reviewing resumes and stuff like that, you got about, you take about a minute or so, you scan the first paragraph, last paragraph, look for some keywords. And I will always tell people, I'm like, listen, three paragraphs, that's it. Anything more than that, and you're going to lose me. I said, because I only have two minutes. I'm going to look through your stuff, and I'm moving on. Um, so your your 10-paragraph thing is completely lost on me. Well, if it looks like you went to Google and you plagiarized, I, I'm not even going to look at your resume if the cover letter stands out. And it looks like you just stole it from Johnny or Susie, you know, that was on Google. You know, best cover letter way of writing, too. And you can Google that, and all of a sudden something comes up, and you steal that, and you plug it in there. I'm going to know it instantly. Because, you know, when I look at your resume and I look at the cover letter, you can tell right away the type of person, the format that you chose to use, the font that you chose to use, the way you decided to structure and everything, each one of the bullets, you know, whether you used a circle, you used an arrow. I know this all sounds crazy. I'm going to learn a whole lot about you in a nanosecond. And I'm going to then look at that cover letter to start it off. And I'm going to see something that looks like you stole it from Mike. And then I'm just going to turn away the resume. I'm not even going to get into how nice it might look. And if you put it on yellow paper or if you put it on a, a cardstock, you know, type of thing, or if you don't take the time to do the right setup, you lost me already. And I know this sounds absurd, but and we're talking resume and we're talking selection. But what we're really talking about here is just pure on communication and understanding you know, what it is that you're trying to convey and that you don't have to go too far out there too to get your point across. Don, you're going to have to, you're going to have to hit that one up, Don, because he lost me with the, uh, the arrows or the circles. So <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Like I said, I, I, on the OCS boards that I did set on, you get, you have their packet, but they really come in and they write, you know, why I want to become an officer. That's like an hour before their, their, their time period for the board. So it's a written, piece of paper that's down there then it comes in with their packet handwritten uh, it's a handwritten because that's Ooh. now now again that's back let's go back several years you know when i sat on those boards so you've got a snapshot of that or you had their packet in front of them you also had you know is this a, a, a staff sergeant or a sergeant first class that's coming in that's you know a 11 bravo okay so you're going to look at certain things that hey courses they should have things that they should have done that make them worthy to go the next you might have an e4 young e5 that's you know from a different completely different mos you know you're and you can you like you, you really get about 20 minutes with them between the three questions and some of the younger ones that come through are still they've been to a soldier of the month board or our promotion board and it's they're not really like that they're more open-ended uh, questions to see how they respond to things so you know you'll see that they you know they they only know the type of board. You know, I, I didn't sit on any of the ones that the guy's coming off the street with a four-year degree already that's applied for OCS, and he's going to go to basic training and then go. So I don't know how how long they get to prepare for theirs. But active duty, we had like one hour to do it. I mean, I'm going to be honest. You know, nowadays, because we've gotten so used to spell check technology and everything else, I even at times have to use grammar check and everything else just to make sure, especially if I'm sending out a very important email to an audience I know is going to be evaluating every word and hanging on every word that I put out there. I have to make sure that it's well-structured, well-thought-out, and grammatically correct. 
And, you know, if Mike Pritz was on uh, the show this episode, you know, Mike, as many of you guys know, is former T- uh, 10th group CSM, but he's also an educator now and a, and a uh, Pat Tillman scholar. But he always talked about by the time you reach Sergeant Major and you're working with general officers, you better know how to write. You better know how to communicate. You will lose their respect quickly if you don't know how to do those basic things. So take the time to learn proper English, learn how to write, you know, and, and it sounds really simple. And you're thinking, oh my God, you know, I had all of that when I went to high school or I had, you know, a, a, a couple of classes of English composition or whatever in college or something. I don't need that again. Listen, we all need to refresh on that occasionally. I, I talk very differently than what I write. You know, it's kind of a side note, but here's why writing correctly is so important for NCOs and warrant officers. And it's kind of a cultural thing because historically, you know, we have no formal training, you know, NCOs or, or warrant officers, no formal training in theory, you know, no college, kind of the old school, um, you know, blue collar workers, whatever you want to call it. And so we have, as a demographic have always been kind of forgiven for being poor writers. Yeah. It's sad, Um, but true. it, It is. I mean, that's historically, and so I'll tell guys, uh, you know, E4s, E5s, whatever, that are had written things to me or emailed things to me, and I'm like, hey, let's have a little lesson. And they're like, chief, why are we doing this? It's, you know, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a dumb mechanic. I'm like, well, yeah, but here's the deal. You may think you're a dumb mechanic. I said, but if you email someone, they immediately are going to say, you know what, I'm just writing him off because he's a dumb mechanic. I said, or you can just be a fellow professional. And yeah, granted, you probably don't get classes on it, you know, in A knock or B knock that you talked about or. And certainly not warrant officer candidate school or any other warrant officer professional development or, or anything else in the other services. Um, but I was telling like, there's no excuse for you not to be thought of as a professional where you're an E5 or, you know, a sergeant major or whatever. Um, don't ever give someone the opportunity to say, to forgive you and say, well, it's not a big deal. I don't expect it from them. They're an E5. You know, that that's not an excuse. Don't, don't give somebody the opportunity to say that um, just because it's convenient. You know, every, everybody deserves better than that. And everybody's capable of it. Right. And unfortunately, in some of the places where that came to play was when you're putting that packet to get, you're submitting that packet to get a person uh, removed from the military and that packet goes up. (laughs) Talk about a first impression that goes to, you know, that stuff goes to JAG. That stuff goes a lot of places besides the first sergeant's office. So, yes, absolutely. And, 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 you know, I would actually do that every every once in a while. I'd pull those council packets and I would read them and I'd bring those guys in and it's like, hey, this is this is substandard here. You gotta you gotta. I get the the substance that you're putting in there, but it's gotta be it's got a little bit better. Well, I mean, if you ha- are an individual that likes to be a you know a change agent, a uh, rainmaker, whatever you want to call it within your organization, and you can't provide or speak clearly what it is that you're trying to get across how you know what you're trying to change within the organization the benefits the return on investment uh, or whatever language it is that you know whether you're military or civilian that you're trying to convey then like mike said even in the private sector you're going to automatically be seen as an individual that will never rise above a particular level and they'll define for you what that level is by the way much yes. like it is within the military you know we we get 
you know, we get promoted up to a certain level automatically, whether you're enlisted or you're an officer. It's pretty much the same way within the private sector, I would say, to some degree, because, you know, out there, they, they pretty much give everybody a shot at least to be a supervisor, you know. Um, and then, you know, typically it's around that time frame they decide whether you're going to be a manager. And then there are people who still make it as managers or directors that never should have been in those types of roles, just like there are in military who become NCOs or officers at beyond the point of which you were selected and you should have been boarded out. Instead, you were promoted. So it happens all over. And if you say, man, I'm tired of this crap here in the Army or in the Navy, Air Force, Marines, and I can't wait till I get out there. Well, guess what? It's not any different. You know, if you don't know how to communicate in here, you sure as hell are going to not survive out there because people are going to be evaluating you the exact same way. And if you walk out the door and, and even not communication, anything in life, if you feel like you're having a rough time within the military, it, it's very translatable within the private sector. I can assure you of that. Well, you know what I learned not being a highly educated guy is that uh, if you're not willing to go to school, take extra classes, whatever, practice writing, if you just want to get better at writing, read more. And I don't care if it's People Magazine, you know, whatever novel you're reading. I was going to say, you read, gotta yeah, pick, if you got to pick the read, right one, though. Well, <laughs> yeah, you're not right. the ones with just Yeah, yeah, there's some limits to that. But uh, but if you if you read a lot, you can't help it because you speak the way your mind reads, and the way you speak ends up being how you translate that to paper. Um, I'm sure somebody far more intelligent than me can explain the the uh, correlation to it. That's just what I found that the, the more folks read, the, the better they can articulate themselves on paper. However, that translates. Yeah, I, I know there are certain people out there on social media, and I'm not going to name any names, but I swear they must dip into the dictionary on a daily basis <laughs> and list about 40 new words that I I have to go and find out what some of those the meanings are. And it seems like when you, when you jumble those words together, it doesn't sound like a complete sentence. You know, it just doesn't all individually, they might be fine, but when you start running them together, it's automatically, you know, this individual is trying to go above and beyond to impress. And I, I say that because there are people out there that by reading books and by going through education and becoming more educated, you know, uh, through other schooling or something of that nature, <clears throat> they they do the exact same thing. They may start to use words that when you see somebody crack a smile, when you say a word, you either got it wrong or they're starting to size you up right then. Ah, uh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right, Don? Yeah. When you want to go, when you have to make things radioactive back to the last physical year, you know, yeah, I got yeah. you. Yeah. That would, have been, that would have been a lot more fun if you named names. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not going to do that on air, but I'll tell you off air. But yeah, it's it's so hilarious, and and we've seen them as well. You know, you see them sometimes as people who are just really trying to make up for maybe some of their insecurities in other areas, and so they try to you know show that they're intelligent. So they start throwing these big words out there that three syllable and four syllable. Well, there's a time and a place. Again, it goes back to knowing your audience. There's a time and a place where maybe. It would be practical for you to use that word or that term or something, but this may not be the occasion. I'm just trying to figure out what's broke here, and you're now, you know, making my head hurt. You know. So you're a you're a musician, right, Robert? Yes. You'll get this. So I was a percussionist for years and years, and I was taking drum lessons. I was playing something for a guy, for one of my instructors or teachers, whatever it was, 
And I was, I'm like, man, this sounds awesome. I'm really like putting my own spin on it. He's like, he stopped me and he said, Hey, listen, you're complicating the beat. You're adding so much crap in there that you're losing the beauty of the simplicity of the beat. And so I kind of always use that, which may or may not correlate with writing. Is it because you can use big words and, you know, make it complicated doesn't mean you're getting the idea across any better. I don't know anyone in C-suites or flag level or anything in the military that doesn't appreciate short, clear, and concise. Even NCOs, nobody really has time to go through a very large, verbose, multi-paragraph explanation of something that could be done in a couple sentences. Actually, I, I love that analogy. Um, it was Led Zeppelin, you'll enjoy this, and it just made me think of this. Led Zeppelin um, had, was notorious for actually changing the beat. So instead of the you know regular downbeat, it was an upbeat, you know, and those types of things. And as a kid, I used to pick up on bands that were actually doing those types of things, like police, as an example. The police were notorious for like having a you know a really offbeat, which made their music not just reggae kind of sounding, but it was also just unique to the period, and it and it set them apart from other areas. And so to your point, you know, if you know how to change things up and use words in the right way or structure your sentences to get the point across in a flow and a rhythm, um, then, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And if this all sounds hokey to you after listening to it, then, again, study kind of the English language and how we communicate as human beings. There is kind of that rhythm, that flow, where natural pauses occur. You know, um, when to use a right word uh, or term it is necessary to explain what's going on, but when you use it in the wrong context, you're going to lose the audience right away. Right, and I think it's key to know your audience. I mean, that's really the, that's to know that audience. Um, you know, you're writing to your boss versus writing to your employees. You just that, that makes a huge difference. Well, and let's not forget the that everyone seems to forget. Don't forget the obvious. Anything that you ever put on electronic media is going to get circulated throughout the entire command at some point. It's just going to. And so you may think you're just writing your immediate supervisor as a peer. I'm like, hey, Billy, this is what I think. What you doing? And then that goes to the flag officer, goes to general staff, and so on. So everyone knows that you're a dummy. So you also need to have a clear purpose for what you're writing about or what it is that you want to communicate. We kind of said about knowing your audience, but I think – you not just knowing your audience, but you better have a clear purpose. What is the purpose behind the message that you're trying to put out there? And then make sure that you've put the right content that the person or the people interpreting it are going to see it the same way that you actually wrote it. And this is where it's good sometimes to even bounce it off of people that know you. So, you know, for instance, if I was looking at some kind of document uh, that I wanted to put out there, depending upon who it was written to, I might throw it at you guys and go, hey, listen, is this coming across the right way? You know, it has nothing to do with it. Has nothing to do with articulation, but uh, I had a pretty important email I was banging out one time, and uh, I asked my battalion commander, "Hey, can you go ahead and take a quick proof of this, sir?" And he looked at it real quick. He goes, put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, "You know, why don't you sit on that for a day and look at it again tomorrow before you hit send?" So, <laughs> totally, has nothing really to. Yeah, it has nothing to do with uh, punctuation or grammar, but it's probably the tone. And so, I, I got his message pretty clear that, you know, in addition to everything else, don't send anything when you're being passionate. It never works out. Tone is something in, in a message, no matter what form the communication is. Some people, when they speak, sound very angry, you know? 
And it comes across also in emails, you know, or in text or, you know, other forms of communication as well. And it's just the personality of the individual. You got to be aware of that. You got to make sure that you're writing in such a way that the tone is coming across the way you want it to. And yet I also know other people who everything just sounds so like rose petals and peaches and cream. And it's like, quit blowing smoke up my butt here. I may be skipping a little bit, but since we're kind of finishing up or wrapping up the the written word part is post-interview or post-board or whatever, I have never not been impressed by someone sending me a handwritten thank you note to follow up, ever. I don't care how much technology progresses. I can't remember ever a time, even if the interview wasn't that impressive, that I wasn't wasn't uh, pretty taken back by the fact that someone took the time to handwrite a thank you letter for my efforts. It goes now, a long way. Or not, yeah. Oh yeah, whether it's sincere or not is completely irrelevant. Um, but they followed kind of the protocol and they and they did it. Um, and also, as technology progresses and we all get used to doing electronic communication, um, to your point about being an executive, the written word will never be valued by people that matter. You know, I mean, maybe like the the user level, operator level, maybe not so much a a requirement. But like you said, when you start getting to um, senior field grade, flag levels, um, C-suite stuff in the civilian sector, never, ever is that not going to be a valued skill. You know, like I said, for, for people that mattered, it will always be a big deal. You know, when you mentioned about the handwritten note, I know a lot of guides talk about this as well, but it is true and key and and so important that if you're going to take the time to write a note, try to call out something that stood out to you. It may have even been something bad that, you know, hey, listen, you made a comment or I made a comment or responded to a question in a particular way, you know, after giving further thought or, you know, something of that nature, you may feel like you're falling on your sword. But I, I can tell you that that could go a long ways in me going, huh, okay, one thing I can appreciate about Mike or Don is that they took that moment or took that time to all not just thank me for what they did, but to do kind of a mini after action, catch what it is that they did a mistake, correct their action, and be willing to own up to that, that could go a long ways. Even if it's spelled wrong. That, at that point, it's not the point. The, the, the impact is the fact that they took the time and effort to try and do the right thing. I mean, yeah. there's, there's all kinds of silent messages involved in that that have nothing to do with spelling and grammar. You know, if, if you write that note and there was something particular that maybe, Don, you asked me that stood out to me, and I want to either further address um, or I, I want to be able to state, you know, something to the effect of that statement or your comment resonated with me for these reasons. And then what hopefully that'll show you is that I was an active listener as much as a communicator within this whole conversation. Because I think today what gets lost on people is you can't have conversation unless both parties are equally talking and listening. That's a conversation. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. That is why a lot of times those like you, those emails that you receive or the letters you receive before a response, it, you know, maybe it's a phone call prior to sending back a, a reply to that is to making sure that you read this the way it was supposed to be written or the way it was that you fully understand and not re- you read it a certain way and react that way. You're, you know, texts have all kinds of, you know, 
when you write something, you can take it the wrong, or a lot of wrong ways, and usually it does. Unfortunately, I had several come see me follow-ups after. <laughs> Those are not good. <laughs> yeah, so I learned. I was, you know, not too slow of a learner, but. What about dress? What's everyone think about attire? Because uh, my personal guidance I've always given everyone, I'm like, hey, you cannot overdress. Whether it's ASU, you know, if you're not sure when it's ASUs or a suit and tie, because I've always found nobody has ever critiqued you for being overdressed. You may get a little, hey, you know, didn't really need the tux today, but um, that's just a that's just a party tux. foul, you know. <laughs> but I've seen. But you'll remember that person. Oh yeah, but I've seen a whole bunch of people get roasted for you know wearing a polo shirt and khakis, or you know a wrinkled t-shirt when they could have done better, um, you know, or ASUs versus. Uh, BDUs or OGPs or something like that. So I, I'm not sure that you can, you can go wrong if you're ever in doubt by overdressing for anything. Yeah. It just you just can't ding somebody for going the extra mile, even if it's not appreciated. You know, I I've heard the old saying, you know, dress for success and all that. And you know, a lot of people. It depends upon the organization and the culture of that organization. And as much as you can understand about the leadership and the culture of that organization before you go in and have a conversation, the better it'll be, right? But I I believe that you always want to try to dress at least one level up from what the culture and the norm is for that organization. So if that means you know they're normally in you know, let's say your ACUs or whatever, you know, and they're, you're going to go need to go in there and in your dress blues, you know, there's not much one step up from that type of thing. I mean, you're going to probably want to go full force. If you're out here in the private sector, you know, and people typically are wearing, let's say jeans and, and those types of things. Um, if you go all in full suit, yeah, they're going to be really highly impressed. But if you went in there with, you know, nice slacks, you know, um, a, a shirt, you know, maybe even with a tie or not, um, but you look like you're very kept. You wore nice dress shoes. You're pulled together very nicely. Your haircut, you took the time to use the proper grooming from head to toe. Then I think it still comes across okay, but it's knowing your audience once again, right? And so it, it helps to have a little intel. If I'm going in blindly, hell yeah, I am going in full board. You know, I, I, I don't know yeah. what to expect. So I better walk in there, the best dressed individual in the room. In lieu of any specific guidance. Yes, absolutely. But if I can do a little intel into that organization prior to getting there, and I kind of know what they're looking for, I would never walk in that room dressed equally as those individuals, even though I may view them as my peers. So here's a, a millennial kind of thing. And I usually don't bag on millennials cause I, I really like them. Um, I've mentored some on job interviews in the civilian sector and I'm like, and eh, they're like, what do you think about this outfit? I'm like, well, you know, I'd probably go a little more conservative. He's like, well, that's just not who I am. I'm like, well, you're an idiot. You know, like any sort of, unless you're going to that get a job. As a, yeah. <laughs> if you're, well, I had to stop the hemorrhage before I gave, the, I was going to say, that's where you know, you're supposed to pause, reflect a moment. You, know, you don't know the way I operate. I, I stop the stupidity first, and then I back up and provide the sage guidance. All right. All right. Um, I said, but, you know, there's no place, unless you're going to go interview for a job as a bouncer at a club or something, there, there is no place where expressing your individuality to an extreme is going to work out for you. Conformity is key here. I'm telling you right now. So if you walk into a place, um, 
you know, thinking that you're going to be who you are in any organization, and not to mention, I think we've talked about this on other episodes, and that you're going to walk into a a building and believe within an organization that you can speak freely and openly because (laughs) the Constitution provides you that right. I'm here to tell you you're wrong. (laughs) There is a thing called an employee handbook, and believe it or not, that usually trumps any types of constitutional rights you believe you have walking into the door. And so, yes, absolutely, you have to conform to the organization. And so, once again, if you can do the intel, great. If you can't do the intel, well, once again, you better take it to the next level. Um, it goes beyond that. If they ask you to hang around after a meeting and, you know, let's go for a couple of drinks or something of that nature. Hey, Don and Mike and I, we're actually going to be going down the road here to this um, Irish pub and get a bite to eat. We'd love to carry this conversation on even further. Usually people all of a sudden go into relaxed mode. The setting they believe in is no longer, you know, the same setting. Therefore, it gives me the right now to to loosen up and actually go the other direction it's a trap it is absolutely and so you always have to be aware that you are on at every moment and in certain positions especially within the private sector you are always on there never is an off switch you know and it's the same way as you would guys would know as you move up within the ranks in the military you have a certain responsibility as a leader to carry yourself within a particular way and you never should be seen, heard or whatever acting any different than what it is believed to be the standard. Some people call that. What is the shadow that you're casting years ago? Um, I knew of an executive, a CEO that never did the formal interview process for his, his C-suite executives. He would always take him to lunch or a formal dinner. And he had always said, he goes, you know what, in the course of that dinner, I can tell everything I need to know about that, how that person is going to contribute to the company and how they're going to behave around all of their peers. From how they dealt with the wait staff to how they held the utensils to whether or not they chose to take a bite of their dinner before they seasoned it, um, you know, to how they consumed their alcohol, what they drank, what they ate. He made his entire impression based on dinner and not how they presented themselves in the interview room. I can tell you that definitely happens. And I work for a company, but I have a lot of interaction, daily interaction with those in the big building over there on Fort Benning. So I make sure that I do dress a certain way because in a way I'm not only representing me, but I'm representing that company that's maybe speaking on behalf of doing that. So it is you 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 have to be conscious of who your audience again it goes back to the audience. Who are you doing that and what are you representing not only yourself? And this is after you have a job, but you're still on a, on a daily basis uh, interacting with, with others from different organizations. There's not only sizing up, but there are individuals um, like your new XO, your new CO, whatever, that may be relatively new. So he's measuring his staff and or her staff and trying to determine and size up who, in, who are the individuals I may need to look at replacing you know, and they, in some cases, they have the power within the, the, the military to pick up the phone and call a higher headquarters to get the people that they may know that are waiting to come and work for them. So they make those phone calls to make those things happen. And in the private sector, it happens all the time. You know, I come in 
I'm like a new uh, baseball football coach. I want to bring an entire new staff. You know, I'm not too sure all the people that are already there are going to be as loyal as I'm looking for. So I'm sizing you up the moment I walk in the door. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we just had our, our, our new CEO came on board and he sat around for a bit and then started asking questions. So exactly what do you do up here? All of a sudden, you know, after 90 days, there were some changes that took place. It wasn't necessarily bringing his guys in or his ladies, but he got rid of a few positions. Not too uncommon. And again, it's based on first impressions, because when you think about doing it in 90 days, you only get to use what's been written about that individual in the past and what you assess within maybe 30 to 60 days of watching and observing both written communication, what it is that you're how you're adding value to the organization, you know, all those types of things. That's a quick assessment. Not much different than the three to five seconds for the resume or sizing somebody up for selection. You know, I've had uh I've had a lot of people applying for jobs, um, and I'll review their resumes, essays, all that kind of stuff, um, much like Don was doing for uh, for OCS. And it's always a lot of I, I, I want to do this, and and that's natural because everyone, you know, our intent is to get our best side across to a potential employer or program selection board, whatever the case may be. But it ends up being a lot of eyes, and so I always tell them like, hey, if you really want them to, in their mind not even know you, but picture you. Oh yeah. He's part of our team is one write or speak like you're already on the team. Um, I know it sounds really, really elementary, but you should always give the impression whether it's, whether it's genuine or not, that's beside the point, you know, you got to live with yourself, but you should always give the impression that you are there to put the team first, whatever that team is, you know, the office, the factory, the whatever you're doing. Um, but get rid of the eyes in your written communication and your your verbal interview skew, uh, skills, and that will kind of change the entire impression. Because I know when I've had candidates come to me like that, when they speak like that or write like that, I've already imagined them, all right, well, they're going to do pretty well on this team because that seems to be what's forefront of their mind. So ulterior motives aside, it doesn't matter. Um, it's just making that impression that we're talking about. I want you to be on my team. What's interesting about that, I think, is like uh, athletics, you know, when you like we we have college football, you know, you have the Heisman and stuff. And when if they talk to a quarterback or wide receiver or somebody who running back or, you know, defensive player that might be looking to receive the Heisman and the hype is already there and they're in the top four. And when the microphone goes, you know, live and they're in front of their face. If they're not speaking about that line, those linemen, if they're the quarterback, they're not speaking about the linemen that are providing their protection, the wide receivers, you know, and everybody around them that really are doing their job, that they're only one component of an 11-man team. And there's a whole other side of the football team that's providing equal support. I mean, when you hear people talk about that way, you think, man, this is a good kid. But if they were to turn around and go, yeah, well, you know, I thought I did great. I faced a lot of adversity today. I, you know, they came at me with different sets and stunts and everything. And so, you know, I threw the ball in the tight pockets and did what I had to do. And that's what I'm here for. You know, that's, that's, that's my job. Then, you yeah. know, comes across a little different. Absolutely. Changes, changes everything. We're not going to go into the actual interview part because there's a million references out there on how to conduct an interview. We've just kind of talked about how to get you to that point. So, again, you know, going back to the very beginning, we talked about you have, you know, one time to make the right first impression. So get it right. But understand, I think hopefully what you understood through a lot of what we mentioned here is that 
you're always going to be assessed. You're always going to be measured and you're always going to be evaluated as you go through your military career and everything you do. And it's going to be in all forms of communication, both, you know, written, um, face to face, whether it's selection interviews, whether it's job interviews, whether it's an interview with a new boss that just came on board, whatever the case may be, you're always under that type of limelight. And so anybody who's gone into the soft community will also share the same thing. Every day you've got to earn it, right? And in the conventional military, maybe it's not always that way in the unit that you're doing it, but I can tell you that the same thing usually applies within certain private sector positions because they want the best of the best. And if you're not willing to put in that effort and show that you have the intelligence and the wherewithal to get that organization further than what it currently is today, then they're going to go find somebody else. So take to heart some of the things that we talked about. It can go a long ways, and hopefully you can use them in those several formats that we presented and think about it in your own way uh, to provide the best uh, results for you. Maybe you listeners want to send me your drafts. I'll red ink the snot out of your oh, resumes. I bet you will. <laughs> <laughs>